We've been in a series the last number of weeks on what we've entitled Rhythms of Grace. If you're with us for the first time today, we have been in this series talking about spiritual practices for a healthy soul. And as we're thinking about the practices that you and I are engaged in as Christians, the question that we've been asking ourselves in this series is what is God's rhythm for your life and my life? What are, what are the things that God would have us to be involved with to do? And, 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 and what are the rhythms of our life, right? What are, what are the things that we will do uh, intentionally and consistently? And uh, the verse that we've uh, based all of this series off of is in 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'd like for you to direct your eyes overhead and uh, say this verse with me again. Here we go. Ready? Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is it life and also for the life to come. So we've been looking at what does it mean to train yourself for godliness? That word train means there's something active. There is something that you're doing. There's something that you're engaged in. And what we've been looking at is when, it, when the Bible says train yourself for godliness, we're realizing there, there are practices, there are activities that we will take part in in the Christian life. And many people refer to these things as spiritual disciplines. Here's the definition as we have been defining it. Spiritual disciplines are Holy Spirit-empowered activities and habits that by design God uses to grow His people in grace, draw them closer to His Son, and produce in them a life of spiritual transformation. So what we're looking at this morning is what are the activities and the habits that God will use in our Christian life to accomplish those three things, to, to grow us in grace, to draw us closer in our relationship to Christ, and ultimately God uses these disciplines to transform us. These are, these are, these are, these are things that we will do. The, many people refer to them as the means of grace. I love how Donald Whitney describes the spiritual disciplines. I've told you this every week. He says they are the God-given means of experiencing God. So these practices that we do are the God-given means. These are things that the Spirit of God has given us that when we do these things, uh, they put us on a pathway to experiencing God and, and, and to knowing Jesus better. Because here's, here's the crux of the matter. Just look right up here this morning. The crux of the matter is you and I in our Christian life do not do things just for God, but we do things with Him. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you do things with him. You do things with him. You see, we're not trying to go about these spiritual disciplines as we're doing these things for him. I think some of us, we have that wrong image in our mind that, that somehow by doing these things, God is more or less pleased with you. You see, you do not do these things for Jesus. You do these things to be with Jesus, right? You do these things, and as you're doing these practices and these activities, you're not doing them alone. You're doing them with someone. You're doing it in this idea of experiencing God. So, 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 so the whole idea behind all of these practices that we've been looking at, whether it's the meditation of Scripture or prayer, or worship, or, or silence and solitude, or gratitude, or, or the one we'll be looking at this morning, fasting. You see, in every one of these disciplines, we are engaging in a, an activity with Jesus. These are spiritual practices that we engage with Jesus better. And so this morning, we're going to look at the most neglected and the least understood, I think, of the spiritual disciplines and that is fasting. 
I'd say fasting is often neglected in the life of a church. It is sometimes often misunderstood. And to kind of frame our understanding of what fasting is, I want to give you a quote by a really old theologian. His name is John Calvin. And he wrote in his great work, The Institutes, he talked about what fasting is. Now listen to what he says. He says, now let us say something about fasting. Because many, for want of knowing its usefulness, undervalue its necessity. And some reject it as almost superfluous. While on the other hand, where the use of it is not well understood, it easily degenerates into superstition. All right? Now, that's an old way of saying two extremes. He says that, you get what he's saying? He says when people approach the topic of fasting, it's often viewed in one of two extremes. On the one hand, there are some people who think, well, just because we have the Spirit of God and the Word of God, then there is absolutely no need now for fasting in Christians' lives today. And so some people would say, as Calvin is saying, um, they, they just under, they, they, they undervalue its necessity. They reject it. We, we don't need fasting. That was something in the Old Testament. We're not living in the Old Testament. We're living in the New Testament. And they would say, fasting no longer applies in the New Testament church. And then on the other extreme, you would have people who think that somehow by fasting, somehow by doing that activity, they're somehow controlling the Almighty, as it were. And so sometimes maybe you've met some Christians who are like, you know, some things just don't happen unless you fast. And then so there's this idea that, that in fasting, I'm able to somehow control and, and change the will of God. Yet both approaches, both extremes, I would argue, are completely wrong. You say, well, what is fasting? Simply, fasting is voluntarily abstaining from something for a spiritual reason. It's voluntarily abstaining from something for a spiritual reason. Most of the spiritual disciplines we've looked so far are things that we would add to our life, things that we would do, prayer, Bible study, meditation, corporate worship. But fasting is one thing that you, you actually deny yourself to do something. It's this idea that you withhold something from your life for a spiritual reason. Now, I'll just tell you right now, fasting's caught a lot of headlines in recent years, not because of its spiritual significance, but because of its health significance. And so some of you, your understanding of fasting might be framed by a physical understanding, but here's the thing, we're not here this morning to consider merely the physical benefits, while there are many, to fasting, we're here this morning to consider the spiritual significance. We're here to consider what is the supernatural thing that this means by the Spirit of God that God is doing in our life through this discipline, this practice of fasting. Now, I want you to just think about, out of all of these spiritual disciplines, there are so many things that we can be engaged in and do, but the one that really brushes up the grain of our culture is the one we're looking at this morning of fasting. I mean, because we live in 21st century America, right? And when you think about 21st century America, you think about everything for our own immediate 
personal benefit, right? Like when you think about our society today, everything is, is framed around our own personal conveniences. It's framed around our personal desires. It's framed around immediate pleasure and immediate gratification. And so this whole idea of fasting, that we would deny ourselves something, something that we are craving in order to do something really uncomfortable, either for a day or a number of days. I mean, to our society, people are like, man, that's just a complete unnecessity. Like, why in the world would you be taking time to devote yourself to this practice of fasting? But what we discover in the Bible is that the Old Testament and the New Testament talk about fasting. Turn to your neighbor and tell them it talks about fasting. It talks about it. And it's not just an Old Testament concept. In fact, if you come into the New Testament, you discover that there are things in the life of the early church. Two times in the book of Acts, we find the early church fasting. Jesus taught about fasting. Jesus practiced fasting. In fact, I found it interesting in my study this week that fasting is talked about more in the Bible than baptism. And, and some of us, you know, we grew in a Baptist church and we really value baptism and we talk a lot about it. But I wonder, does, does fasting carry in many ways the same emphasis that we may put on other things? You've opened your Bible this morning to the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew. I want us to start in Luke, Luke chapter 5. And I want you to find a story in the life of Jesus here. Here is Jesus of Nazareth. He is now with his disciples. By now, the, the message of Christ, the... And the, the message that he had been proclaiming that, that, the, that the kingdom of God is at hand to repent and believe the gospel, Jesus has been out with his disciples. Things have been happening. And now Jesus is going to receive some questioning. And he gets some questioning from a group of scribes and Pharisees. If you look above in your Bible, you'll find the context. And they want to talk to Jesus about fasting. And so I want you to stand to your feet and let us read from Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 5 beginning in verse 33. Now, notice what the scriptures say. And they, the Bible says, the scribes and Pharisees said to him, they're talking to Jesus, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. Now, they're talking about John who? Say it louder. John who? John the Baptist. They're talking about John the Baptist. The disciples of John fast often, offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. What does Jesus say? And Jesus answered unto them, can you make wedding guest feast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come, Jesus said, when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. And he told them a parable. This is what Jesus talks about fasting. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will notice, tear the new and the piece from the old will not match the old. And no one who puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst, and the skins and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no, no one, after drinking old wine, Jesus says, desires new, for he says the old is good. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, I want you to think about what Jesus is saying. 
Jesus is being confronted in that day by some religious leaders who are wondering why is Jesus not doing the, the, the prescribed things of what every rabbi and, and early religious followers in Jesus' day were doing. That was fasting. And, G, and, and so the Pharisees and scribes say, hey, wait a minute. John the Baptist's disciples are fasting and praying and, 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 and we see the Pharisees over here. They're fasting and praying. But man, every time we find you and the disciples, you're eating and drinking. You remember the Bible says that Jesus ate and drank with publicans and sinners. And so here they're seeing like, wait a minute, Jesus, are you even practicing this Old Testament principle, this, this thing that we see that is so um, important about fasting? And notice Jesus answers their question with a question. I just love, I love how Jesus answers. Notice you see it in verse 34. You see what he says to them? He says, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them. You see, in the Old Testament, there's so many pictures in the Bible for God and his relationship with his people. But the one in the Old Testament that really comes to the surface is this idea of what Jesus is saying here, that his people are like a bride. In the book of Jeremiah, we discover the prophet says, God's speaking to his people. He says, he's, he's talking about what happened. He says, I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. And so God in the Old Testament is using this imagery that, that his people are a bride and that he is their husband and that they loved him and they followed him and they were devoted to him. And so throughout all the Old Testament, you'll find this analogy coming up of God's people being compared to a bride. But notice what Jesus is saying in this verse. He's saying something profound. He says, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them. You see what Jesus is saying? He says, the bridegroom is here. The bridegroom is here. God himself, God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus is saying, hey, the reason my disciples aren't fasting is because the bridegroom is here. I mean, he's making this declaration about himself. He's making this declaration about who he is. And Jesus is saying, hey, hey, in, in, in a situation of a wedding, you don't fast when there should be a feast. You don't fast when you should be gathering to celebrate, when you're gathering to partake in this celebration. You see, in the life of Israel, it's hard for us to understand this because so many of us are just used to feasting. Like, we feast all the time. Like, we feast in abundance throughout the week, and then our holidays are just like super feast. But like, if you were in the nation of Israel, and like, you were practicing in the life of their liturgical calendar moments of, of fasting, and then times of feasting, it was like, like, you know, you would go for days and, and, and this fast, and then all of a sudden there would be this massive feast and, and all of this food. And Jesus is using that picture to talk about our relationship to God. And he's saying that, you see, the reason his disciples were not fasting is because the bridegroom was with them. But Jesus, notice in the next phrase, makes something so profound. Notice what he says. But he says in verse 35, notice the days, what are the next two words? Say it louder. The days, what? They will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will, what's the word? They will fast. So Jesus is expecting, he's anticipating that his followers will fast. You see, in the Old Testament, fasting was accompanied in, in some very particular moments. There are some seasons, there are some settings in which we, as we go through the pages of Scripture, we discover the old, in the Old Testament God's people fasting. Let me give you a few of them. 
In the Old Testament, fasting was often a sign of brokenness. It was often a sign of, of expressing your brokenness. It was a way of expressing your desperation. In, in the Old Testament, we find moments where God's people fasted in times of consecration. They were preparing themselves. They're, and most frequently in the Old Testament, you find fasting tied in with this concept of grief, that, that when somebody is going through a season of grief, it's often accompanied with a season of fasting. Let me give you a few examples. For instance, in the Old Testament with Aaron and the death of his son, we find that, that he fasts in his mourning in his sorrow, he fasts. David and his men, as they are grieving and mourning the loss of Saul, they fast. And even in the book of Daniel, we find Daniel, remember, he has been taken into captivity. He had been uprooted from his family. He had been uprooted from his home. His whole nation was undergoing the judgment of God. Uh, Daniel was in a season of deep mourning, and we're told that, notice, he did not eat of the king's meat or drink the king's wine. He's in this deep season of personal lament. You find that Mordecai and the Jews, they're fasting in a moment for God to break through. You remember that their whole nation was under this wicked plot of Haman and that he was going to exterminate the Jewish race. And so the Jews, they enter into this time of fast. We find that Nehemiah, he confesses his sin and he bows in a moment and he, he enters into a season of fast as he confesses his sin and, and asks for God's favor. And, and you can just look at the Old Testament. You can find individuals, you can find communities, you can find even entire nations that are in a season of mourning and repentance. We see it happen in the life of Israel. How many times does God send his judgment and he gives this warning of his judgment and we find that Israel enters into this time of fasting, they enter into this time of repentance. We, we, we find that in the life of Nineveh. You remember Jonah? and what God was gonna do, and he was gonna bring judgment to this wicked city, and remember the whole city, they proclaimed this fast, and, and sackcloth and ashes, they enter into this time of fasting, weeping, and repentance because of God's judgment. But notice Jesus says in verse 34, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? In the days, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. You see what Jesus is referring to? He says, hey, we're not fasting right now because God is here. <laughs> Emmanuel is with us, but my disciples will fast, Jesus said. What are they fasting? Why is that? He gives us this, this, these two illustrations uh, of an old garment, a new garment, a wine, and new wine, and some of us are like, how many of you read that and you're like, what in the world does that have to do with fasting? Anybody honest in church this morning? You know, like, have you ever thought about what those verses mean? They've, they've, they've turned to mean so much in the church today. Like people take those verses so often out of context and we make them say things that we want. And, you know, they're like, those, they're like those verses that we can like push people around in the church to do what we want to do. You know, like anytime somebody has this new vision, this new idea, they're like, Hey, that's a new garment. We got to toss out the old garment. Get rid of it. You know, it's worthless. Or anytime we want to change them, it's like, hey, this is new wine. Got to get rid of the old wine. You know, and it's like, and so we, that's not what Jesus is talking about. This whole thing is in the context of fasting. Jesus is using this illustration about fabric and new fabric and wine, new wine and old wine to communicate something to us about fasting. You see, in the Old Testament, can, I, can you just look up here for a second? 
The way things happen in the Old Testament were different from the New Testament. Do you know that? How many of you raise your hand and say, I know that? Yeah, we have a New Testament. <laughs> it's called a New Covenant, right? Things look different in the Old Covenant. Things look different in the New Covenant. And so there's this New Covenant principle that Jesus is teaching about fasting. He says, you know, in the Old Testament, people would often engage in these practices of fasting. I mean, think about the moments in times of repentance, in times of pleading for God's favor, in times of confessing sins, in times of mourning. But, 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 but here's the reality. Here's the gospel reality. You and I do not do anything to earn God's favor. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can't do anything to earn his favor. Nothing. Turn to your neighbor and say, nothing. Some, some of us think in the Christian, thank you, man. You're, you're a godsend. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Some of us think, some of us think, thank you for the water. Some of us think that we came to Christ with none of our efforts, and then somehow after coming to Christ, it's on all of our efforts. That's not the gospel. There is nothing that you can do to earn God's favor. There is nothing that you can do that can somehow appease God. There, there is no amount of any work that you can perform to make yourself holy. You cannot make yourself holy before a holy God. You cannot make yourself right before God. You see, that's the whole point of the gospel. That, that, that Jesus Christ comes to do for you and I as sinful people what we could never do for ourselves. And so he comes in love and mercy and forgiveness and he comes as the perfect lamb of God to identify in our sinfulness. He comes, he takes on flesh, he is God with us and he goes to a cross, not for crimes that he had committed, but he goes to bear the iniquity of our sin. The Bible says our sins were placed on him. The judgment and wrath of God was poured out on him in our place. And by faith, by faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us in his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, you and I now have this opportunity by faith to receive God's righteousness because of what Jesus has done. So Jesus is talking to religious people here. Remember that. He's talking to religious leaders who think that by fasting, somehow they can earn something. They think that by doing a certain rhythm or ritual, they can earn. But Jesus is trying to get them to understand. If you try to fast to get God to intervene, if you try to fast to get God to do something in your life, it's gonna make the skin burst. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying. Because why? Because he's already done it. I mean, Jesus was about to go do that. He was about to give up his life for sinful people. And, and, and here's the thing, here's, here's the thing, the gospel, the gospel says to you and I that we are sinners and in, in, in deserving of God's judgment. But the gospel says that, that Jesus took on that judgment in our place. And, and now, here's the awesome gospel news. He's made us sons and daughters of a king. He's, he's made us heirs in Christ Jesus. So, Here's the thing, I, I, I don't do anything in my life to somehow be worthy of God's favor. Because if I'm in Christ, I already have it. I already have it. Can you think about that? Can we just dwell on that for just a second? I want you to think about when you came to know the Lord as your Savior. 
When, when did the scales of darkness just fall off and the light of Christ shone into your life and you became a new creation and God changed your life? Do you remember that day? Do you remember the day you got saved? That day forward, you have his favor. He loves you unconditionally. What father does not, Jesus says, long to give good gifts to his children? I mean, God's heart is, notice, God, God gives out of himself this self-giving, sacrificial love, and, and we do not fast, we do not repent, we, we do not somehow how, how do all of these things in an effort to gain God's righteousness. I mean, we, 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 don't, we don't undergo this, this time of deep fasting to somehow say, Lord, well, now you're pleased with me. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It, it happens when we, when we call out to him in that moment of saving faith. So why do we fast? Why do we fast? Listen to one commentator. They say this. He says, we have tasted the powers of the age to come and our new fasting is not because we are hungry for something we have not tasted but because the new wine of Christ's presence is so real, so satisfying. The newness of our fasting is this. Its intensity comes not because we have ever tasted the wine of Christ's presence, no, but because we have tasted it so wonderfully by his spirit and cannot now be satisfied until the consummation of joy arrives. You see what he's saying? He says fasting is different in the New Testament. Fasting looks different for a, for a New Testament Christian because, because Jesus has come. The Bible says that you and I, if we're in Christ, the Spirit of God comes to dwell within us. So we have the favor of God. We have the love of God. His love has been shed abroad in our hearts. We, we have the Spirit of God. We have His presence. But there's a sense, though, right, in which we're waiting for a culmination, for a fulfillment of what God's begun in our heart. Remember, he said that the Spirit of God is a, the guarantee of our salvation, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. So look up here. here. What does that mean? That means God's committed to changing you. God is committed to growing you. God is doing something in your life. Notice that can only come by his transformation, by the Spirit of God. And so what does this mean? We don't fast because we haven't tasted something. We fast because we have tasted it. We've, we've come to understand, look right here, we've come to understand as Christians that Jesus is everything. We've come to understand that he is better, that his life is abundant. And so what is what are these people saying? What is Jesus saying? Fasting looks different. Fasting looks different in the New Testament because of the gospel of grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. Many people have a lot of misconceptions about fasting. Let me give you just a few. I mean, in the years that I've been in church, I've heard so many misconceptions about fasting. Some people think that by fasting, they can somehow impress God. Some people think that by undergoing this, they can earn something from God or somehow they have this second level favor with God. 
Some people think that fasting is twisting God's arm into giving you favor. Some people think it's this magic formula, and so there's some things, some prayers in my life that God won't answer unless I fast. And some people say, well, you know what, I'm I'm fasting uh, to to really get God's attention. It's like I'm going on a hunger strike with God. He's going to listen, right? Some people think that fasting is a way to somehow look religiously pious. It's, it's to be filled with pride. It's to gain right. Here's the thing. Look at me. Fasting's none of those things. It's none of those things. All of those things reveal we don't really know God. We don't know who he is. We don't know what he's like. We, we, we don't know how he works in the life of his children. If we somehow think that, that by anything we can do, somehow manipulate God, into doing our will, that's not what the scriptures teach. The Bible prays that we would seek God's kingdom, his will, his name, not our own. Oftentimes when people are fasting in that way, they're trying to manipulate God into doing what they wanted to be done. And they're disappointed when God doesn't. So can I tell you something about what we find in the scriptures about fasting? You say, what is fasting, pastor? What is fasting? It's humbling yourself before God. It's just humbling yourself before the Lord. It's putting yourself in a position physically where you're reminding yourself that there is a lot of lesser things that you and I often run to for comfort. We often turn to a lot of lesser things for comfort, for security, for peace, for wisdom, for insight. And when we fast in a season, we're allowing ourselves to be reminded that, Lord, you are all that I need. And you are so much more. It causes us in those times of fasting where where our inward desires for a compulsion for something like a a device or or, or, or our desire for food or, or something that we long for and we find ourselves just so wrapped up in that lesser thing that when we enter into a season of fasting, we we humble ourselves before God and we realize, Lord, you you are incomparable to everything else. And what I really want, Lord, what I really need is more of you. I need a greater awareness of your presence in my life because right now, my presence is filled up with all these lesser things. And some of us, that's where we are at today. Like some of us right now, we're held in a grip of a lesser thing. It might be food for you. It might be a box of Cheetos. I mean, I don't know what it is. It it could be social media. It could be a relationship. It could could be anything, But, but you're running to that for comfort. You're running to that for peace. You're running to that for insight. You're running to that for wisdom. And, and, and God's right here and he's like saying to us, he says, you used to be like a bride and you'd love me. And you'd follow me through the desert and a land not sown. I mean, God says, you know, you, you love me so much you would just follow me in this wilderness because you wanted to be with me. And God's saying to people today, there's a lot of other things you'd rather be in There's a lot of other things you'd rather pursue. I mean, just evaluate your life, evaluate your week, look at where your time went. Easily, you'll tell what you're passionate about. You'll see your affections. And and fasting fasting is, is, is recognizing, Lord, I don't need to run to that first. I need to go to you first. It's humbling yourself before the Lord and And realizing, here's the thing, you don't have to twist God's arm into getting his favor. 
You already have it. Already have it. I mean, my daughter, when she gets bigger, she's not going to have to do things to have me love her. I, I love her already, right? Like, as a dad, I'm like, man, how much more can I grow in my love? Like, but, you know, it, it, that's how a father is with their children. Like, like, as parents, you give your children good things. You love your children. You want what's best for them. Would you ever withhold something that would be for their benefit? No, of course not. I mean, Jesus is like, what, what, what parent? A kid asks for a piece of bread, and the dad's like, well, here, here's a scorpion. <laughs> Hey, Dad, can I, ha- can I have some breakfast? Yeah, sure, here's a snake. You know, like, what, 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 Dad? You'd be like, you're crazy. And Jesus says, yeah, but how much more good is our Father in heaven? Like, like he gives good things. He, God, God, here's the thing. You don't have to seek his favor in that way. You have his favor. So those times of fasting, what are they doing? It's reminding yourself of who you are in Christ. It's, it's reminding yourself that, that those things in my life don't define me. They don't control me. And if I'm being brought under the power of it, I probably need to fast from it. I probably need to deny it. I need to deny myself so that I can, I can seek what, what God wants me to seek. You know, it's, it's what the psalmist said. Psalm, Psalm uh, 42. Notice what the psalmist, notice this, this is the experience of the psalmist. Psalm 42, begin verse one. As deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? And these things I remember and I pour out my soul. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You see, the psalmist is going through this season and he's in this deep soul, this night of the soul in anguish. And he's like, my tears have been my food day and night. He's in this deep season of fasting. And he says, but Lord, my confidence is in you. Like, help me see that in this season, like I, I, I'm wanting to be caught up in all of these fears that are seeming to pull me in. But Lord, help me see that you're all I need. It's what David said in Psalm 63. Oh God, you're my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. It's, it's, see, when, when we're fasting before the Lord, we're humbling ourselves to the Lord and we're realizing, Lord, you're all I need. You're, you're everything I need. And if I've gotten caught up in thinking that somehow you can't provide, if somehow I've gotten caught up in thinking I'm in a real crossroads because you won't give us wisdom, Lord, if somehow I'm in a place where I've, I've put all of my expectations on what other people think, or I'm resting in this food, rather than just realizing that you say that, there's, that your words are bread of life. Like, Lord, if, if I'm caught up in all of this, then I'm missing out on seeing your great worthiness, your goodness, your, your favor. Like, I, I, you see, fasting in the New Testament is an invitation. It's just an invitation for Jesus to, to experiencing him, to, to finding him to be our greatest treasure. So the practice of fasting, here it is, is about developing deeper, deeper cravings for the living God. It's about creating, withholding from our life certain things that are binding us, and it's allowing us to refocus our thoughts on God and realizing that he is our greatest treasure. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You say, so what does this practice look like? Notice Jesus and we'll be completed here in Matthew chapter six. Turn in your Bible, Matthew chapter six. Jesus had just been talking in this Sermon on the Mount about the way that his kingdom works. 
And he says in verse 16, and when you fast, notice Jesus didn't say if you fast. He says when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces. Why? So that their fasting may be seen of others. Jesus said, here's some religious people that are fasting, and they just want you to know it because you know, they, they, well, they want the points for the religious effort. And Jesus is like, look, they got their reward. That's all they're going to get. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You see, so many of us have a wrong motive when we come to fasting. We fast because we want something. We fast because we think somehow we can, we can move God. Some of us don't fast because we think it's not important. And Jesus is like, no, my disciples will fast. When I'm gone, they will fast. But when you do it, do it in secret so that your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You see, all of us have to, see, here's what fasting does. Fasting's like a spiritual MRI for our soul. How many of you have taken an MRI before? And it reveals, doesn't it? It reveals internally what you can't see. You see, when you go through a season of fasting, whether it's a day or two days or a week or a month, it's really apparent really fast what your soul desires. It's really apparent really fast what you love. And notice when we get into these moments of, of quietness with the Lord and we humble ourselves before God, we, we're revealing our hungers for the living God. You see, fasting diverts our attention. It, it shifts our gaze. It shifts our gaze off of ourselves. It puts it off of something we're craving. It takes it off of our pain. And it puts it all onto his sufficiency. And we humble ourselves before the Lord. And, and here's the thing. I don't know where you're at today, right? Like, I don't... I don't know what, what you're going through. I don't know what your week's been. But, but, but this practice of fasting is a, it's a spiritual practice by which we would remove some things, some lesser things, and we would voluntarily devote ourselves for a season to, to seeking God because we're realizing that He is everything and He is sufficient. And, and, and He's sufficient for, for all of this. And so this morning, I want to ask you, when was the last time you fasted? Do you have a habit of that? Do you have a practice of that? You see, in, in moments of deep need, we, we go to the Lord. But Jesus is describing something in the life of his followers that's, that's just like consistent like praying. Like there's, there's moments of fasting and praying and seeking the Lord. Why? Because we're saying, because we're reminding ourselves I think fasting is far more about us and it's far less about God. It's, it's, it's more a self-examination, a, a self-awareness of realizing, look, he's who you need. God's all that matters. So seek him and trust him and trust him and, and trust that in fasting and prayer and believing the Lord that your father who sees in secret will what? What are the next two words? What? Say it louder. Yeah, it's his favor because you're his child and you have it. And God wants to give good things to his children. 
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this truth about fasting. Help us, Lord, to experience it. Lord, fasting is a deep spiritual reality that puts us on this path of experiencing you more. We find you to be for us what we've put our expectations in far lesser things. And I wonder, you're here this morning, just some questions as Lori begins to play. I want you to think about, when was the last time you fasted? Maybe you'd begin that this week. Maybe it's a day fast, maybe it's a two-day fast. Maybe it's a complete fast, a partial fast. You know, it really, 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 it's between you and the Lord, but, but, but the heart motivation behind it's the real thing. The heart motivation is, Lord, I want more of you. God, I'm just hungry for the living God. I, I found myself not wanting you. I found myself wanting so many other lesser things. Lord, refocus my heart on you and your sufficiency and your faithfulness, your goodness. Lord, let me taste and see your goodness. That's an invitation Jesus offers to his children. It's truly really up to you whether or not you would meet him there. Father, I pray for each person here today that they would take a new step in their Christian walk that this week, Lord, we might take new steps in becoming who you would have us to be. Lord, the Christian life isn't, isn't over in a day. It's a, it's a journey, and it's a process, and there are many things in our life that you do to shape us, and this is one of them. And so we pray that you would help us to, um, Lord, deny ourselves, to put our full confidence in you. Help us as a church to be hungry for you, Help us to want you. Help us realize that, Lord, if you're not with us, if we're not following you, Lord, we're missing it. So help us, God, refocus our thoughts on you and in this season as a church. We, we know that, Lord, there's a lot of needs and there's things that we're considering and praying about, but, but Lord, help us to not miss the main thing, and the main thing is a relationship with you. And so we pray for your help this week. Thank you for what you've done in our hearts today. For Jesus' sake, we ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone said.